Let's give our Savior a clap offering right now. Wes, am I supposed to duck back or turn it off? Just not sure what I'm supposed to do here. Just keep going? All right. So, all right. Well, good morning and blessings to all of you. And it's so great to see you here today. I recognize that some of you are back from vacation, so it's great to see, see you as well. Our text today is found in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Uh, You'll find it at the top of your sermon outline if you don't have your Bibles. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him. To the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. May God bless this reading of his word. Let us pray. Great Father in heaven, we thank you that you are sovereign over all things. Just the weather alone in the last two hours has been just a sight to behold. But you have allowed us to come and gather that we might find satisfaction in worshiping you here with the brethren. So right now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see our Lord Jesus crucified and resurrected in these words and trust in him, have faith in him alone. Lord Jesus, we thank you for paying our debt on the cross. And we long to see more of you now. Be with me, this weak, frail instrument, though we can be assured that you, you who are at work, will not let your word fail. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
So we're finishing up our summer series on relational wisdom. And anytime you're talking about wisdom in relationships, you can't get away from talking about forgiveness. So when we're done here, I'm going to just text John and thank him for giving me the easiest sermon to preach on in the entire series, forgiveness. While we're at it, I'm also going to tackle predestination and infant versus believer's baptism today, because I think, why not? Um, (laughs) Sarcasm for those of you out on the internet. Um, When's the last time that someone did something against you, sinned against you? I bet you don't have to think very long and very far back. So we're always sinning against each other. Now, when's the last time that you've given just full-hearted forgiveness to someone for sinning against you? That one might be a little bit of a reach. That one might be, maybe I can think of a time recently that I've done that. See, forgiveness doesn't get a whole lot of airplay. I mean, country songs, oh, that rat bastard lying cheater, you know, just, I mean, you you have country songs like that, or movies, especially summer blockbusters. They're about, like, revenge and vengeance. So you don't really ever hear songs outside of uh, just uh, the Christian community about forgiveness. You don't see movies outside of just uh, Christian movies that really just extol the virtues of forgiveness. Even for the Christian, we try adopting a forgive and forget philosophy. But I'm talking forgive and forget like I used to do, like I used to say in the fifth grade. You know, sure, I'll forgive him, but I'm going to forget him too. And I never want to think about him ever again. And I have to say, we don't really grow too much from that fifth grade understanding of forgiveness. Or maybe it's just me, but I'm going I'm to just put my own issues on all of you. Um, But how would you like it if that was the character of God's forgiveness? What if God said, I am so sick and tired of your sin against me. I'll forgive you again, but I just want to forget about you and never think about you. Doesn't sound right, does it? Actually, sounds pretty terrifying. Three points to today's message. A virus that kills. Remember him who canceled your debt and forgive as God forgave you. A virus that kills. You know, in this series on relational wisdom, Pastor John has been saying that we need a relational wisdom operating system upgrade, similar to how he went from Windows 7 or 8 to Windows 10 recently. Now, using that computer analogy, not forgiving is like a virus. Have you ever gotten a computer virus? I remember the worst virus I've ever gotten. It was the Melissa virus. I was a peacekeeper in 1999 in Kosovo. Not the time when you want, like, just sensitive documents to be all wiped from your hard drive, but that's exactly what happened. You know, all the pieces of the computer, the display, the, just, uh, the CPU, your keyboard and mouse, all of those things are still there. But because the software has been corrupted, nothing works. You lose all your data, and you might even owe someone some money with like today's ransomware viruses that are happening. Viruses are terrible. They take everything you're supposed to do, everything you're supposed to be, and shut it down. And that's the picture that we're seeing here in this passage. You see, Jesus was using this parable to make a point about forgiveness 
as we see with the therefore that starts verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. And so you see that that's shorthand for the New Testament always, that everything that just came before is wrapped up now in this. And now, at a certain point, numbers are just numbers. I mean, $14 trillion in debt, and it's just more than our minds can fathom and compute. So let me see, let me see what I can do here about 10,000 talents. 10,000 was the largest number in the Roman just uh, nomenclature that they had. The highest number was 10,000. All right, so Jesus pulls the highest number that can be written. And then talents. Talent is the largest denomination of currency that there was. All right, now a talent, and there probably isn't 10,000 talents of gold in the world, much less like just one, but so let's assume it was silver. Even if it's 10,000 talents of silver that we're talking about, that would be equivalent to $100 billion today. $100 billion is about the gross domestic product of Ecuador or the Slovak Republic. All right? That's what they made domestically in the year 2014. I mean each, $100 million each, billion. And people got paid a day's wage called a denarius. All right, that's what you made in a day. So this guy who wound up somehow owing his master 10,000 talents. I mean, how does that happen? If he pays, if he takes the denarius that he gets every day, let's say his wife is a pharmacist or something useful, all right? So, or a Christian counselor. Oh my gosh, what are we doing? So, so let's say, I love you. Um, Let's say that his, you know, just income comes from somewhere else, and he takes everything that he makes, that denarius, and uses it to pay his boss back. It will take him, what I've got it down here, 200,000 years to pay back his master that debt that he owes. And so when he's on his knees pleading, have patience with me, I will repay you, he's completely lying. There is just no human way that that is going to happen. And then we see the ridiculousness. I mean, just one, the amazing wonder that the master showed mercy on him and forgave the debt. But then this guy goes right around and finds one of his peers, a fellow servant, and chokes him out for a hundred denarii. So it's about three and a half months of wages, so let's say $35,000. And for $35,000, he threw this guy in prison. You know, if you've ever seen the show Shark Tank, where people are trying to, inventors are making a pitch to really rich people, asking them to be venture capitalists, to fund, you know, just this product, you hear the investors talking about valuation, trying to make a good decision based on what something is worth or what something will be worth if it makes it. This ungrateful servant saw what his master forgave him, that 10,000 talents, and he still decided to make this utterly poor decision and hold his fellow servant to his debt. To which Jesus ties unforgiveness to his ingratitude. Like, where is, where is that unforgiveness coming from? Why couldn't he let it go? And at the heart, 
was a heart of ingratitude. In verse 32 and 33, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And we see that our Savior, He is being so consistent in what He is teaching to His disciples and to all who are around. Just if you remember the Lord's Prayer that we said, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then the part that we often don't say as part of the Lord's Prayer, but verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And we see the worth, the valuation with which God attaches to forgiveness. Our own salvation is tied to it. Now, Jesus isn't suggesting here that you have to forgive others first and then you will receive forgiveness as if it was a precondition to our our salvation. The Bible is very clear. We love because God first loved us. We won't generate forgiveness out of our own selves to give to others, and in that way deserve God's forgiveness. That is absolutely antithetical to everything that the Bible teaches. But Jesus is stating the priority of forgiveness for the Christian. The Christian life is a forgiven life and a forgiving life. A forgiven life and a forgiving life. See, at the start of this point, I talked about viruses and how it stops everything from working the way it should. This heart of ingratitude that refuses to forgive is like a virus for our relationships. It strips us of, you know, just what did John teach this summer? Our God awareness and engagement, our self-awareness and engagement, and our other awareness and engagement. It ruins, it strips us of our God awareness and engagement because we only see what we want or think we need. It ruins our self-awareness and engagement because it blinds us to the great debt that has been paid in Jesus Christ. And it destroys our awareness of others and our engagement as we see them only in terms of our hurt and our wrath. You know, Kim gave me this excellent illustration. I remember this too. Have you ever loaned money to a friend? After you've done that, You don't see them as your friend made in the image of God, your buddy anymore. All you're seeing is the 600 that that jerk owes you and is taking forever to pay. That ingratitude, that blindness to be able to see them made in the image of God and as fellow brother and sister in Christ is subsumed under the identity that you cast on them as what they owe you. And we don't treat that person that same way any longer. Like, for instance, this summer, Jacob Walker and I, uh, you didn't know I was going to talk about you today. So we went on a 5K run today and together at camp. And while we're running, in the first, first kilometer, he trips me. He trips me. And I just take a hard spill on my elbow. I mean, it's just, it's still not right. My skin will never be right, Jacob. And I can go around now thinking, not Jacob's name, 
not beloved child of my friends, not man growing up in his own right, you know, just in the Lord. But I can now just continue to call him Elbow Scar. That's your name, Elbow Scar. So, and he didn't trip me. He made the mistake of trying to talk to me while I was running. I can't do two things at the same time, and I tripped over a speed bump. I still blame you. But, um, you know, I'm making light of that, but how many little things do we do to, we, to each other where that is the identity that now we ascribe them with? That is how we see each other. You did this to me. You didn't do that for me. You said this about me. I think I heard you say, not say this thing. About, just, it's convoluted all the twisted ways that we make someone into something completely different because we have lost sight of the gratitude that we are to have. And what's even scarier is that God uses, Jesus uses jail as a metaphor for hell, saying that if you don't show forgiveness from your heart, you might have to question whether you are a Christian at all. Now to this, I think we can all say this is hard. And you're in great company. C.S. Lewis said exactly those words in uh, The Weight of Glory. This is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each night, Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There is no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. And so Lewis, I mean along with Christ, says then the answer is to turn to Christ and see what he has done. So second point, remember him who canceled your debt. You see, in verse 27, the words, the master of that servant released him and forgave him that debt. That word forgave is the word afeken from the Greek afiemi. And it meant a cancellation of debt, of debt. Not just a reduction or a postponement of it, but a cancellation of debt. And Jesus here shows the true character of forgiveness. That forgiveness is costly. If you are choosing to forgive someone else, it is coming out of you. This 10,000 talents that this guy has lost, there is no insurance company that is going to write him a bad servant rider check for 10,000 talents. Here you go. You're covered. And for us, when we sin, again, a, a Redeemer Presbyterian Church illustration. If a kid from next door breaks your window and the family doesn't have the means, the ability with which to pay for a replacement, and you forgive the kid and you forgive that debt, where is that, repl- uh, that window getting replaced out of? Out of you out of your wallet, out of your checkbook. Forgiveness is costly. But we see Jesus say again and again, 
Yes, that is the nature of it. When he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, he knows that it's on the cross that he is going to hang so that we can be shown mercy. And when he says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who who abuse you, he knows that he is going to be in that very situation for our sakes. In fact, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we see that that, that afeken, that accounting term of of debts being canceled, Jesus continued to have that in mind on the cross. He said another, another word that's recorded, tetelestai. It is finished. He, there, it's an accounting term to say the debt has been paid in full. And so we see how Jesus was making the pitch to his disciples. Look at your forgiveness in me. And out of that, you will find strength. You will find courage. You will find love to forgive and forgive and continue to forgive. Do you know why Peter asked seven times, asking, like, should I pray? How, long, how many times should I forgive someone for the same exact sin? Is seven good? It's because back in Hebrew law back then, Jewish law, it said you can do it three times and then after that you don't have to do it anymore. And so he thought he was being good. He thought, hey, seven's like a perfect number, right? It's like double the Hebrew and then an extra to which Jesus says either 77 or 70 times seven. Not really sure, just translations go this way. Maybe Jesus was referring to when Lamech, when Cain's son in Genesis was saying that if anyone injures me, I'm going to take vengeance on them 77 times. Maybe Jesus was saying, forgive, forgive, and receive injury upon yourself 77 times for the sake of a brother. I kind of think that's what he was getting at. And so he's showing the connection between being forgiven and forgiving. You see, forgiveness is a choice. You have to know it's a choice. See, it's very natural to self-protect. All animals do it, and we're not really that dissimilar. Someone hurts you, you guard yourself, and you try to prevent them from being able to do that again. Not forgiving comes very naturally to us. But if that's exclusively how we live, then it is a functionally godless worldview. It is a world where God does not exist as protector, as defender, and the one who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so then you see that forgiveness is then a worship thing. As we worship our God and recognize the worth of Him in His glory and how grand His love for us is in the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Then flowing out that forgiveness is a choice we can make. See, why is forgiveness hard? We know there is a risk that we will not get justice. And it grates on us. 
We want there to be justice. From the time a kid can talk, they learn how to say, it's not fair. And righteousness is how we ought to live, how we ought to see. And we agree that the entire world is better when everyone looks at life that way. And so we want there to be justice. And we know that when we forgive, we might be giving that up. But in that moment when it is hard and you want to refuse to forgive, that's the moment where we need to remember what we need forgiveness for. And it's not just for sins in the past. It's not just for all those things for which we deserve death and we were saved from, but it is also that lack of desire to forgive right in that moment. Who are you and I to hold on to sins against us when Jesus Christ did not hold on to any against him? See, it's a choice. Can either choose to live and revel in the forgiveness that you have in Christ alone, or you can choose to hold on to the justice that you deserve from someone else. But the scales, they're not equal. They're equal in our minds, and that's the danger of it. That's like this guy who thought $35,000 was worth going after when $100 billion had been forgiven. And we do that. We are this guy. And the only answer is being satisfied day in, day out on the knowledge of the forgiveness that we have because of our Savior. And because of what Jesus has done, we know that, our, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Or Isaiah 43, 25, we know prophetically that these are Jesus' words. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. This is the God that we have. And so because of that, because we recognize our forgiveness, we can look at first the plank in our own eye before we go after the speck in someone else's with which they might have injured us with. And that brings us to the last point. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes in Colossians 3.13, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Or in Ephesians 4.32, he said, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, when you look at this, what Paul is saying here, and the question that Peter asked Jesus, who are they referring to and talking about? Peter asked, how many times should I forgive a brother? And who is Paul writing to but the church? So we're talking about people who are in Christ, brothers and sisters. And we're being told we have to forgive. And we're being told that because so often we don't. Do you know what my biggest pastoral pet peeve is? You want to know what ticks me off more than anything else? It's when brothers and sisters in a church get into a fight, and then they wind up leaving the church and going and finding another church. Obviously not the same church. They just want to get away from each other. That makes me angry and sadder than anything else that I can think of as a pastor. 
So think about that next time that you entertain the thought of leaving our church because you got into a fight. So, because this is the place that we're supposed to contend with each other, that we're supposed to forgive each other. If not here, then where? And so, as we see our Savior Jesus Christ, we turn to each other saying, I can forgive. I can forgive because of how much, I know how much I've been forgiven. You see, Lewis Mead wrote this, that forgiveness does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. Isn't that beautiful? That we, our God does not see us just as we are, but as we will be. And he has given to us the power to do the same. To see someone who has sinned against us, not just as an enemy, but someone who, we, who will be forgiven and loved and restored to full relationship. Smeez also writes that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. You ever been angry at someone, but they weren't angry back? And they weren't even like just concerned about your anger? That's the worst kind of anger, isn't it? There's just no reciprocity. And all they're doing, they've got free real estate right up in here and in here. But in forgiveness, as we forgive someone else, we find that we are set free. Now, forgiveness starts at a cho- as a choice, but it continues as a process. All right, it's never just a once and done thing, is it? Our hearts don't work like that. And so Randy, uh, Rand, uh, uh, Ken Sandy, who we've been using a lot of his Peacemaker material for this series, he came up with four promises of forgiveness that I've uh, included on the back page of your outline. Four promises that you are saying to, I mean, you don't have to verbally say it to the person you're forgiving, but you're doing this in your heart to check your heart, to really see if, that's, if forgiveness is what you desire. And the four promises are, I will not think about this incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. And as I think about those promises, those are all the exact opposite of what I do when I'm ticked off at somebody. First thing that I do when I'm angry is think about it. A lot. And then the second thing I do is I go find someone else to talk about it with and rally that person on my side against that person that I'm angry about. And then I hold it against them and use it whenever possible. And I certainly let that stand as an obstacle in our personal relationship. All of you are thinking, oh man, better not get Martin angry ever. So, but... We look at this and we see that this is exactly what Christ has done for us, isn't it? I will not think about this incident. Isn't that what he meant when he said, it is finished? I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. He is not just saying, oh, I can't believe you screwed up again. 
Look at my cross. Come on. I will not talk to others about this incident. He is not at the right hand of his Father in heaven saying, yep, screwed up again. Oh, look at what she did. That one's never going to get it right. He is interceding for us and praying for us. And I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. He is forever now our good eldest brother, the firstborn from among, from among the dead. And through his blood, his father is forever our father. These are his guarantees. And because we see what he has done for us, we can take steps, slow, stumbling, terrible steps, but we can clumsily follow his example even when it's hard. Now, I'm not saying that you do all of these things in the same way to everyone who sins against you. Some people sin against you and continue to sin against you with no repentant heart. And so you deal with them differently. You are still called to forgive them and love them. But even Scripture says, Proverbs 19.19, a man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. You know what that means? Stupid's going to be stupid again. Don't enable their stupidity and their sin. Don't give them ammunition to sin against you. And yet even, even in that sin, learn how to turn aside wrath and not respond in hate and anger. And by doing that, you're doing exactly what our Savior did in forgiving his enemies and heaping burning coals on their heads. You know, we might not experience justice in this life. Joseph didn't, I don't think. I mean, his brother sold him off into slavery, and he never got back at them. And yet still, we have a Savior who paid justice's price for us so that we, we could learn to be like him. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, Do not waste time bothering to think about whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. Whenever you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love them. You're not deluding yourself, but when you sincerely try to make a loving act, the Holy Spirit works in you. And that true love of Christ springs up. And so in conclusion, I want to leave you with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Because we've been talking about this in an interpersonal level. But Jesus Christ meant this to be the way that we go and spread the gospel to the nations. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so first, 
we revel in the forgiveness we have in Christ. And then we turn and forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we bring that forgiveness to a lost world who knows nothing of it and yet desperately needs it. And that is the power of forgiveness. How well do you understand the forgiveness of our God? And will you share that forgiveness with your brothers and sisters in Christ and share the message of forgiveness with the lost? Let us pray.